In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. In this corner, weighing in at 207 pounds, he's lost some weight, folks. Dr. Khaki, the list maker of Los Angeles, uh, champion <laughs> of the middle brow division. In this corner, weighing, oh, Craig Kikowski. <laughs> In this corner, weighing in at, she's giving me a look. Uh, <laughs> best not say, uh, the Kentucky quote cutie, <laughs> the challenger, Carla Kakowski. Gloves up. Let's have a fair fight. No hitting below the belt, folks. Hi, guys. It's Who won? <laughs> Who won? Yeah. Well, that's what we're about to find out. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. I see. I see. That was the setup. That's the setup. Got yeah. It. You never been to a fight before, Carla? No. <laughs> but I've seen a lot of them on TV. Sure. Yeah. So you introduce the boxers. You know, they got their titles. They've got all their qualifications. Then, you know, they go in, they touch gloves with the ref, and then they come out fighting, yeah. which you did. I did. Yeah. You're right. Pull I no, did. Pull no punches today, Carla. Okay. Try. Yeah, I don't want you throwing this fight. <laughs> I don't want you taking a dive. Um, so uh, today we're going to talk about Raging Bull. Woo-woo. This is number 55 in Craig's List, so of course this is episode 46. Uh, but before we get to that... I don't understand the math of this podcast. Uh, what's not to understand? <laughs> it always adds up to 101. Great. <laughs> Uh, before we get into the movie today, we, uh, can use a coaster, babe. Okay. I'm going to use a coaster for my smoothie <laughs> so I don't get our coffee table all messed up with its condensation. Correct. Um, and with your condescension. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good morning. Good morning, Carla. Uh, before we get into the movie today, we've got a little bit of a lifestyle change to announce that may affect the podcast. Oh, right. We haven't talked about it yet on the podcast? <laughs> we've talked about it plenty in real life. Yeah. You've announced it on social media. Yeah. But what's going on in your life right now? I'm moving to Portland. <laughs> Was it something I said or did? <laughs> nope. I got a job as a... Managing associate and teacher okay, and coach at a comedy theater in Portland called Curious Comedy Theater. So, wait a minute. So, you're going to be living in Portland, Oregon. And you're going to be in Los Angeles. I'm going to be in Los Angeles. How are we going to do the podcast? Um, we're we're going to figure it out. There's Skype. There is Skype. Uh, but we're also going to be logging a bunch. 
We're banking a bunch before you leave town. Yes. And then we're going to see each other once a month. So we're going to we'll see each to. other at least once a month. And then we will record wall to wall podcasts while doing that. Yeah. For those 24 hours that we see each other, we're going to be doing nothing but watching movies and yelling at it's, each other. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. Uh, uh, but, but I mean, it's not a bad, it's not a big deal because <laughs> I go the second week of September. And then I'm already back in LA for a couple nights, the end of September. Okay. And then I'll be back in LA for a weekend in October. And then you'll be in Portland for five weeks in November and December. We'll record a bunch then. So my point being in telling you our, our schedule, everyone, is that it's going to work out. Okay. Yeah. We've got some guests coming up for these few that we're banking before we leave, Carla leaves LA. Yep. But then it may be hard for a while to have guests on the podcast. But uh, the two main characters, Craig and Carla, <laughs> will still be around. We have some really good guests coming up, though. So I feel like all of your guests' itches <laughs> will be scratched. <laughs> yeah. But we may not have as many Los Angeles-based guests. We might, might, Maybe we'll have some more Portland-based yeah. guests. We've got some friendly fans up there. That's right. Uh, I already know a couple that I wanted to invite. Um, yeah. Carrie Brownstein, if you're listening, we'd <laughs> love to have you on to discuss Avoir les enfants. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, so yeah, don't worry. Don't worry, Craig's listeners. Uh, the podcast. First will- of all, don't worry about us. Don't worry about us. <laughs> we are strong as ever. Right, Carla? Right. And secondly, don't worry about the podcast. <laughs> it's all going to work out. Because it's a podcast about movies. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but I'm really excited about this new thing. I'm excited for you. Yeah, it's going to be, the theater is so beautiful and, uh, everybody's really fun and cool and, uh, I like the community up there a lot. So if you're in Portland, come see me at Curious Comedy. So you're just, you're looking forward to getting the fuck out of LA. Yeah, well, uh, I feel like we had a good send off last night when you got into a car accident. I did get in a car accident last night. (sighs) This is our fifth accident in four years, you guys. (laughs) And none of them have been our fault. Nope. Well, one of them. Well, except for the one that was my fault where I hit somebody <laughs> from behind. We've had two cars totaled. Two cars total. We were rear-ended by somebody who wasn't paying attention to what they were doing, rammed into us. Well, we were at a red light, by the way. Well, we were at a red light. We weren't yeah. even moving and they just hit into us full speed from yep. behind. That was four years ago? Yes. Ruined our car. Lost Lowered that car. car. Uh, then got a new car and a year later you were rear-ended again. Yep. Four um, or four cars involved in that chain reaction. Totaled that car. Totaled that car. That brand new car that we had. Brand new car. Well, it was a used car. Well, for us, it was It was new out. to us. <laughs> uh, it was a nice car. And then, what else? Oh, a super shuttle slammed into my car <laughs> while it was parked. My car was parked. Yeah. And the, he drove away. But fortunately, there was a, a, a good Samaritan. A good Samaritan who saw the whole thing. Uh, I should have sued Super Shuttle. Like, I bet, I bet I could have made some real cash. They're a big corporation. Why didn't I do that? Yeah. Oh, hindsight. <laughs> and then I hit someone from behind by accident, but it was only because she stopped in the middle of the road. So it re- you were kind of at fault, but really she was at fault. Yeah, technically I was at fault because if you hit from someone from behind, they're all, you're always at fault. That's just how it works. But she stopped in the middle of the road. This has something to do with the movie, I'm sure. <laughs> Where are we at? Is that four? And then last night. And then last night, a woman, a girl, a young girl. Not yet a woman, not a girl. Yeah. Just out of nowhere, swerved into you. She sideswiped me. Yeah. Yeah. She was trying to turn in my lane and just didn't see that I was already there. And the insurance adjuster said, well, 
these things are tough to call, so we don't know who's going to be at fault. He said in a he said, she said situation that's tough to resolve. Ugh, infuriating. Uh, but don't I know that from doing 46 episodes of this podcast? Oh, good transition. <laughs> so what, what movie did you watch? What movie did I watch? Carla, I, I watched Martin Scorsese's 1980 boxing classic, Raging Bull. Raging Bull. The American Film Institute in That's the- That's how you have to say it. Raging Bull. Raging Bull. Why do I have to say it that way? Because it's funny. <laughs> what accent is that? I don't know. Okay. It's Carla's accent. Uh, when the American Film Institute did that, by the way, the new Amer- AFI Top 100 should be coming out later this year because it's been 10 years since the last uh, list that they did. Really? Do they So they redo it every 10 years? Every 10 years, yeah. Oh. Just like the Sight and Sound poll, which is the, the most renowned uh, critical poll of the greatest films of all time where they poll both critics and uh, filmmakers. Wow. Uh, that's done by a British magazine every 10 years. So the AFI on their last list in uh, 2007 had this as the number four American film of all time. Behind only Citizen Kane, The Godfather, and Casablanca. Uh, it stars Robert De Niro, who won an Oscar for his performance as Jake LaMotta, um, a Bronx-born, the Bronx Bull, uh, who was a, uh, a boxer in the 40s and 50s. A Raging Bull? It, <laughs> it was a Raging Bull. <laughs> it also stars Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Japesh, <laughs> as he's known to his fans. Uh, this was Joe Pesci's second feature film. Uh, and he. Right after Home Alone? <laughs> right after Home Alone, yes. Which he, he shot, then took a time machine back into 1980 to shoot Raging Bull. Uh, Kathy Moriarty in her film debut was also Oscar, also Oscar nominated for it. <laughs> for Raging Bull. <laughs> And uh, Marty, of course, was nominated but did not win. Uh, it did win for Best Actor for De Niro, and it won for Best Film Editing for Thelma Schoonmaker, uh, who is Scorsese's longtime editor. Is she still alive? She is still alive. Is she still editing? She is still editing. Awesome. And when the American, whatever the editor's union is, came up with their list of the 100 best edited films of all time, this was number one. Wow. Uh, editors, judging editors, they thought her work was the best editing ever done uh, in really a film. Cool. So very excited to discuss uh, this movie today. We already did a little Scorsese earlier <laughs> on the list with The King of Comedy, which mm-hmm. was the next one that he and De Niro did uh, after making this movie. So, uh, Carla, what did you think of Raging Bull? Well, I didn't watch it. <laughs> You didn't watch the movie, Carla. Don't act surprised. <laughs> I'm playing out the drama for this Craig's listeners. This is my listeners. number two choice of passing. You're taking a pass? I took a pass all oh. over it. I took a pass all over it. Carla, why did you take a pass on Raging Bull? I've seen Raging Bull. When did you see it? Uh, Maybe 11 or 12 years ago. And what'd you think? Uh, I thought it was fine i thought it was a well-made film i thought the black and white photography was pretty from what i remember mm-hmm. pretty i don't know it, it is it yeah. is pretty uh I, but would... I remember not connecting to this movie and um being disgusted <laughs> <laughs> well 
I'll tell you what. In rewatching this movie without you, I'm really glad you didn't watch this movie. Yeah. Because it is, it's famous for the brutality of its boxing scenes in the ring. Uh, and then also the brutality of his life, uh, outside the ring. Yeah. You know, he's a, a brutish. He's not a good person, right? He's not a good person. You know, he's abusive to his wives. Uh, he has a very contentious relationship with his brother, played by Joe Pesci. Uh, and it just kind of shows the ugliness of this guy's life. So this is just not up your alley at all. But I've seen it. So I would, I honestly would have watched it if I had not have seen it. Cause I know it's one that you're, you're supposed to watch, which is why I watched it in the first place. Right. Meaning like it's on all of these lists of like the greatest movie ever. Uh, I didn't know that it was, I mean, I think I knew that he used a female editor, but actually I walked into the room when you were listening to the commentary and she was talking and I was like, oh, now I kind of wish I had watched it (laughs) because she sounds really interesting. Well, I would say, uh, you know, as, as a film nerd, this is one of the better DVDs, uh, to watch. I have a bonus edition with a second disc, uh, but there's a commentary done by Scorsese and, and Schoonmaker, uh, and lots of bonus features. And it is just one of the, to hear them talk about the craft of making this film, like it's one of the best crafted movies ever. Um, he's got a great cinematographer, Michael Chapman, who did the, the black and white photography. Uh, Paul Schrader, who also wrote, uh, Taxi Driver and Last Temptation of Christ for Scorsese, uh, collaborated on the script. Uh, it's, uh, it's impeccably cast. And it really, the, the combination of the photography, uh, it, it's such an odd combination of the most beautiful images you will ever see with just some of the ugliest subject matter. Yeah. And so like, it, it's a, it's a weird disconnect between the ugliness and, and the beauty, uh, of this movie. Are you sure laying down is the option you want to go with? I feel very relaxed right now, Carly. Craig is laying on our couch with his hands behind his head. Mm-hmm. Like I'm his therapist. <laughs> I mean, I wish you guys could see it. It's ridiculous. I've never been to therapy, Carla. And so podcasting is kind of my outlet to reveal. But I'm not your therapist. My inner even self. though I'm sitting in the chair, like I'm your therapist. <laughs> Aren't you? I'm going to take a picture of you. Aren't you, Carla? Are we going to tweet this? Yeah, we're going to tweet this. Um, so what were all the things you were saying? <laughs> I'm not going to restate all the things I just said, uh, but what do you what do you recall about this film, Carla? Can you give it a, a plot summary from seeing it ten years ago? I I remember there's like boxing, and then he <laughs> there's like boxing cheats on his wife with Kathy Moriarty, right? Uh huh. And she's really yeah, young. she's a teenage girl. I think they say she's 15 in it. Yeah, disgusting. And then, but doesn't Joe Pesci then sleep with her later or something? Yep. And he beats up his brother or kills him or something. No, no. Is that the Godfather? (laughs) I don't remember. That's all I remember. I really didn't connect to this movie when I saw it. So it was not memorable for me. Sorry. That's all right. Uh, So you took a pass. Yep. What did you watch instead? Well, I watched my favorite Kathy Moriarty performance (laughs) from the critically... Lauded. Is that a word? Is it lauded? Applauded. <laughs> Is it applauded and lauded? It's both of those. Uh, critically acclaimed, 
audiences all over America loved this film. <laughs> 1991 maybe got the best costume award of all the awards. <laughs> Definitely won best actor and best actress. When, where? Where did it? In do my this? heart. Okay. The one, the only soap dish. <laughs> so I watched Raging Bull while you watched Soap Dish. Yep. Okay. I hadn't seen Soap Dish in a long time to the point where I forgot I had the DVD. You told me I had the DVD and I was like, no, I don't. We have I, to rent it. I know exactly what's in our DVD collection, Carla, and I knew you had Soap Dish. I must have bought it when we <clears throat> did the boats and I went to Target and bought a bunch of cheap DVDs <laughs> uh, when we worked on a boat. We needed stuff to watch. And, and then I just forgot that I had it. To the point where I was like getting mad at you because you were like, you have it. And I was like, Craig, I would remember if I bought Soap Dish. I do not have it. I haven't seen it in years. <laughs> and then you pulled it out. And I was embarrassed. I did pull it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you pulled out the DVD. I pulled out the DVD. Um, yeah, I saw Soap Dish when it came out in 1991. I, I saw it a couple times in the theater. You did? Yeah. Okay. You would have been 11 at the time. Yeah. Was this appropriate for an 11-year-old? Man, I saw Coming to America when I was young, too. <laughs> That's really inappropriate. I saw yeah. all kinds of inappropriate movies when I was a kid. Yeah. Soap Dish, I believe, is PG-13 with one fuck in it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's very... It doesn't feel very risque watching it. Yeah. Uh, did it? Did it? Maybe a little bit, you know. It's in the tawdry world of uh, of soap operas. It's such a good movie. It totally was fun again. Uh, totally. <laughs> so who's in Soap Dish? Sally Field uh, plays like a Susan Lucci esque character. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the the aging lead on a long time running daytime soap. Yes, she's been on the soap since she was a kid. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Klein, who plays her. Ex lover, mm-hmm. uh, who comes back? <laughs> he's doing dinner theater in Florida. Yeah, he's playing uh, Willie Loman. Yes, in, in Death, Death of, of a Salesman. Salesman. Yeah, at a dinner theater in Florida, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then the Robert Downey Jr. and Kathy Moriarty are like the villains. He's the producer, and she's another actress on the show. And they want to get Sally Field <laughs> out of there so that she can be. So that Kathy Moriarty's character can be more famous. The whole plot hinges on Robert Downey Jr. wanting to fuck Kathy Moriarty. Yeah, it The does. whole plot hinges on that because she's uh, withholding sex from him until he gets rid of Sally Field, yeah. basically. Which is a little silly. I'll, I'll give you that. Yes. Uh, but I think it stands up for the most part. It definitely feels uh, on the cusp of the 80s, 90s <laughs> in terms of look yes. and um, tone. The the whole like Kathy Mor- Moriarty's actually a man at the end is a little that would not fly today. today. Th- that's pretty transphobic. And, I mean, it was inappropriate at the time, probably, but yes. nobody. It wasn't a hot topic or button. Sure, hot button issue. Um. So yeah. So that's not great. Like watching it now, it makes you feel a little bad. Like that's kind of transphobic and mm-hmm. not awesome. Not very funny. Um. But besides that, I think the movie holds up overall. That That's the one thing that I was like, ugh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, America's Sweetheart, Elizabeth Shue. Oh, yeah. Who I love. Whoopi Goldberg. By the way, I just watched Adventures in Babysitting again a couple nights ago. A couple nights ago you did? Or like last week. Where was I? 
You were not here. Oh, okay. And uh, I'd watch Adventures in Babysitting. That's hilarious. Still. I like that movie. That is a really funny movie still. Holds up? It does. Okay. It legitimately holds up um, all the way through. Okay. I think. Uh, but anyways, I think, yeah, so Soap Dish is really <clears throat> fun. It's just a fun, silly movie. There's a lot of – I think it's my favorite Sally Field movie. <laughs> Sally Field pretty much I, – I did watch – Soap dish with you. I know. I by the way, you. and I have some Carlos quotes for soap dish that I will try to apply to Raging Bull in a roundabout manner. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I watched this with you. I probably, I think I remember my sisters watching it in the '90s as well after it come out on home video. I think my sisters probably liked this movie a lot, and I liked it when I saw it uh, on the big screen. I think I saw it with my friend Andrew uh, while we were on vacation in the Florida Keys. Yeah. Uh, we went to, uh, to the multiplex to see Soap Dish and it was very enjoyable. And, uh, I really enjoyed seeing it again. Yeah. It, it's very funny. Yeah. Ke- uh, Kevin Klein is also really, really funny in this movie. Kevin Klein might be the funniest good actor of all time. Yeah. If, the, like that sweet spot of like he can be, you know, he's clearly one of the great actors. Right. Uh, some of whom dabble in comedy, some not so much. Uh, but he's as funny as the funniest comedian. I agree. You know, that yeah. you think of, yet he's also an amazing actor. Yep. I don't know of anybody who has that combination like he does. I know. I wish he was still doing a lot of stuff. He, do- he I guess he does a lot of theater still. He just. Yeah. It was on Broadway, I think. He does a fair amount of voiceover still. Right. Uh, he's Mr. Mr. Fish Oder on Bob's I mean, Burgers. He, yeah, he picked, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he does, I guess. Which is a great does, character. But I just miss seeing him in these kind of like roles where he's the star of the, sh- the movie. <clears throat> also because he's so like physically adept. Yes. Like he's got, I mean, he moves like Chaplin or Keaton yep. in silent films of like he's so in touch with his body yeah and so like he can actually make slapstick work you know and i'm not a big slapstick fan but there's a scene where he backs into a revolving glass door (laughs) and bonks himself on the face and passes out uh and it's just one of the best bits of physical comedy yeah you'll ever see or even the Part where he, where Elizabeth Shue sits down and tells him to leave her aunt alone because Sally Field's her aunt and he's discovering that that's, that it's her aunt. Yes. And so he decides that he's going to then hit on Elizabeth Shue to make Sally Field jealous. Yeah. You, he's reading a, a variety, a variety, a magazine, variety magazine. A variety of magazines. Just variety. Okay. Uh, and the way that he plays with it. Yes. indicates how he's feeling he's, in the moment where he's trying to ignore her yeah and she keeps interrupting him and he pulls down the the magazine uh but he's trying to be polite and he is good at being polite because he's he's an actor right you know it's so well done uh god i want to post that clip somewhere if we can find it so, surely somebody has put that scene on Ugh, youtube so funny. yeah um yeah, and Sally Field is really funny in this. Like, legitimately, uh, made me laugh. LOL. I LOL'd. Yeah, I'm not, not normally a big fan of hers. This is probably the best that, uh, she's ever been in anything that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, what did she win the, uh, Norma Ray? I saw She won the Oscar for Norma Ray and for Places in the Heart. Oh, which I is never when, saw Places in the Heart. Which is when she had the famous, you like me, you really like me right. speech. What else has she been in? 
Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah, that's right. She's good in Forrest Gump, of course. Uh, what's the movie where uh, Alfred Molina is Iranian? And- oh, yeah, Not Without My Daughter. <laughs> Not Without My Daughter. I saw that movie in the theater. That's a scary movie. It looks really cheesy. Yeah, it was probably and- supposed to be a Lifetime movie <clears throat> and somehow ended up. Yeah. Uh, but it, she was, I, I think probably her heyday of being a lead was the eighties. I think, you know, yeah. she had just a lot, but I mean, she goes all the way back to the sixties when she was in the flying nun and sure. when she was a teenager. Sure. Yeah. Those things. <laughs> I've seen those things. Um, I also kind of feel like, uh, Whoopi Goldberg's at her best in this movie. Oh my God. Whoop- Whoopi Goldberg is so funny and she's playing the straight man. She is. Yeah. Which is really fun. Yeah. To watch. Like she's playing the straight man to Sally Field. Does that that doesn't even make sense when you say it out loud? <laughs> but then you see the movie and they're both so well cast. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is really good as a, a slimy writer. Yep. Uh, Kathy Moriarty is great. She is. In this she's too. a villain. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a younger Terry Hatcher. Sure. A young Terry Hatcher. Yeah. Is in this movie. She was hot. As the, she still is. Don't you think? Uh, you know, I remember her being like very voluptuous in this and in Seinfeld because she had the famous, uh, by the rear, by the way, they're real and they're spectacular. I don't know. Line okay. about her. Oh, there was right, a whole right, thing right, in right. Seinfeld about whether her breasts were real Got or it. not. And then the payoff was, by the way, they're real and they're spectacular. Yeah. Uh, but then I feel like she got like too skinny. Oh, well, in the desperate that- housewives era. Yeah, I'm glad that we have opinions on our body. <laughs> uh, anyways, I thought she was real funny in this. Yeah. Um, and who else is in it? Oh, Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher and Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall. Ha- Gary Marshall's fantastic. He doesn't. He he's doesn't the head have of the network. Stuff to do, right? but when he comes in, he's really funny. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So he's like the one who's like, we just got to make money. Let's just do whatever we got to do to get ratings. And Carrie Fisher plays like this oversexed <laughs> casting director who just like – she's playing kind of the male stereotype, I think, of a casting director, but as a woman. Yeah. Um, Where she's seducing the actors that come in to be on the show. <laughs> and she's funny. She's very funny. Yeah. She's Carrie Fisher. Uh, Lisa Gibbons. <laughs> as herself. As herself. And John Tesh as himself. Uh, Kathy and Jimmy. Kathy, a young Kathy Najimy. Yep, who plays the costume designer. This is before Sister Act. Before Sister Act, before Hocus Pocus. Wow. <laughs> all right, those are all the people in it. Uh, and the guy who plays Bolt is funny too. Yeah. Who's like the big hunk on the show. Yeah. Well, it works so well if you, like, I don't know if like a millennial saw this, if they would think it was as funny as we do. But because... Because it's like I grew up watching soap operas. My grandmother, my mother, you know, they all watch soap operas. So I watch soap operas. I really get the tone that they're going for. It is a soap opera within a soap opera within a soap opera. And it takes the tropes of soaps. <laughs> tropes of soaps. The tropes of soaps. New podcast. Uh, don't steal it, you guys. Uh, <laughs> the tropes of soaps. And it really does a great job satirizing and kind of blowing them out in a fun way. 
Yeah, I don't think anyone growing up now could understand how big daytime soaps were at the time it was that this huge. movie came yeah. out. Yeah. And the guy who plays Patch is in it as himself. Patch. Patch. Did you say Pash? Pash. No, I said Patch. Okay, Patch. Patch Adams. Right. Robin Williams is in it. <laughs> um, another guy was Patch from Days, Days of Our Lives. Yeah. And then Fanola Hughes from uh, General, General Hospital. Hospital. Yep. General GH was the one that my sisters watched a lot. So yeah. I kind of like through proxy uh got, got a, that got a grasp of what was going on it was there. soaps were huge in the 80s and 90s huge everybody watched them this movie feels like a a movie length expansion of the the big dorothy michaels speech uh on the live broadcast of tootsie at the end of that movie. i did so, think of tootsie when we were watching that um I mean, you're talking about a broad comedy set at a network soap. I mean, of course, it's going to harken back to that. I think that this one does it better. <gasps> Blasphemy. And by better, I just mean it's so much funnier. The soap dish one to me is like, because it's not just the one time. There's several. There's a few different live broadcast moments that go crazy. A few different scenes, rather. And they heighten so well and are just ridiculous and hilarious. Well, I'll tell you what, Carla, Soap Dish is not going on the list above <laughs> above Tootsie. If you want to just talk about the pure, like, broad comedy of it, maybe, you know, I could listen. I have to say that people have messaged me that they agreed with me about Tootsie. Really? And then I did feel – Tootsie's one that I kind of regret. I feel like you guys talked me into liking it more than I actually did. Oh, really? Yeah. What did you give it? Do you remember? I don't. I thought you gave it a B-. minus. Oh, okay. Well, because I remember – I don't know why we're talking about this on this one, but Blacker, like he had a pretty good sure. argument for why it was so well written, and I was like, "He's a yeah, clever, clever TV I get writer." That. And then he, but then I felt tricked. <laughs> I felt like you guys tricked me. I still feel tricked on Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. So <laughs> <laughs> when you when you get that pressure from two people, you know it it changes a lot. Yeah. Um, okay, so you think soap dish is better than Tootsie? I think it's funnier than Tootsie. Okay. I do. Like consistently funnier than Tootsie. There are parts of Tootsie that are very funny. But overall, these guys, these Sally Field and Kevin Klein are funnier to me in these roles. But it's just going for something different. I think Tootsie is going for something a little more grounded. Sure. And uh, this is – everybody's kind of playing to the hilt. Sure. Uh, in this one. Um, but – I was surprised that it was not on my – I went back and looked at my list for 1991. I do have a top 25 for every year. Yeah. Uh, and this was nowhere to be found on the list, probably just because I hadn't even thought about it in a long time. Uh, and I put it back on my list for 1991. Really? I put it in at number 16 for Aww, the year. Aw, that's good to hear. Uh, right between Defending Your Life and Boys in the Hood. Oh, Defending Your Life is better than Soap Dish, I think. Yeah, I have it right above Soap Dish. What is your number one for 1991? Um, Silence of the Lambs. I believe it's Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, no, it's not. What is it? There's another movie. Well, we'll be talking about it on Craigslist. Regarding Henry? (laughs) (laughs) That probably was 1991, wasn't it? For the Boys. For the Boys. That was terrible. No, Um, it wasn't. (laughs) Uh. 91, I got Silence of the Lambs as number two. We'll be talking about that in a couple weeks on this podcast. 
I got Cape Fear at number three, Thelma and Louise at number four, JFK at number five, The Fisher King. Okay, well, what was number one? We'll reveal that later on the on the podcast. Today? Later today? Uh, no, it's a movie that we'll be covering in several weeks. Ugh. All I can't right. look. We're I, not going to remember. We're not going to remember to talk about it. Barton Fink. Barton Fink. Barton Fink. My number one movie of nineteen. More so than uh, Silence of the Lambs. You're That's crazy. Correct. Okay. So now tell me about your movie for today, <laughs> the boxing one, Rajan Bull. Rajan Bull. Well, Carla Robert De Niro famously gained sixty pounds to play the older, heavier Jake LaMotta. Like uh, Renee Zellweger in Bridget Jones. Did she gain 60 pounds? I think she gained a lot. Wow. I don't know if it was 60. So the physical transformation that Robert De Niro undergoes in this movie is just amazing. And the movie is bookended by Jake LaMotta after he retired as a boxer, uh, had like a nightclub act where he, it, it was not that different than what Lenny is doing at the beginning of, uh, uh Lenny Bruce is doing at the beginning of Lenny, mm-hmm. where he's introducing strippers at like a sleazy club and doing bad jokes and stuff like that. So Jake LaMotta was one of those like MCs at strip clubs, but they, he would also, uh, had a one man show where he did like speeches from Shakespeare and famous speeches from movies and, and right. stuff like that. So, uh, the beginning and the end of the movie is bookended by, uh, this older fat Jake LaMotta and you look at him and you're like, that can't be Robert De Niro. You know, it just doesn't look like him. Uh, and then, and that's, and then there's uh, a Chiron goes on the screen, Jake LaMotta, 1964, and then a bell rings and it comes on Jake LaMotta, 1945. And it's Robert De Niro in the ring, uh, boxing. And he's so fit. He's in incredible shape. And, even then you're like, that can't be Robert De Niro right. also. So, you know, people talk about the physical transformation of gaining weight, but then also the physical transformation to get in shape uh, to be a boxer. Like Tom Hanks in Castaway. Sure. The shape that he got into to uh, to have his scenes with Wilson. Uh, I, well, that's just losing weight. Right. right. Yeah. I mean – it is one of those movies where, uh, like Castaway, where the physical transformation is part of the appeal of, uh, of watching it. You know, just the amount of commitment, uh, that this guy gave to the performance. Um, and, th- but then he's extraordinary in, in the whole movie. Um, as far as Craig's first time goes, me and my friend Andrew watched this movie over and over. In high school, like I, I think this was easily his favorite movie of all time, Ugh. and we would watch, we would just watch clips of it sometime, and we would laugh hysterically <laughs> at the scenes with Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci uh, just busting each other's balls. Uh, now, at the time, you know, we're privileged teenagers living in the suburbs, you know, right? And uh, I, you know, had not firsthand and still have not, you know, seen any abuse, you know, uh, and, you know, just came from a, a good home, you know? Uh, so, you know, watching it as an adult, it's way more difficult to watch, you know, uh, just what an asshole this guy is, uh, and how terrible he is to the, the people around him. But at the time, 
it was just funny to us because, you know, they're, they're playing these, you know, working class Italian Americans and, you know, 1940s Bronx and they, they have just a very colorful way of speaking. They're cursing a lot. You know, Joe Pesci is always, you know, very naturally funny and Pesci and De Niro improvised most of their dialogue for this film. Uh, and so like there's a real authenticity to it. It's amazing how after, you know, becoming a comedic improviser for all these years, like going back and to see all the films that I loved even before I started improvising had an element of improv to them. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously not really for comedy here, but just the, the dialogue, uh, just really flows very naturally and it feels like you know exactly who these guys are by the way they interact. I don't know what to say about any of this. <laughs> I don't have a lot of feedback. That's fine. Probably because I didn't watch the movie. <laughs> but, uh, but did you know that they were going to do a remake of Soap Dish a few years ago? <laughs> ben Schwartz, was, he wrote he wrote a remake of it. Ben Schwartz wrote a remake of In Soap 2011. Dish? In 2011. Uh-huh. Um, I had remembered reading that and so I just looked it up just now and it was Ben Schwartz and he, uh, which I guess he's been around for longer than I realized. Oh yeah. Um, but anyways, he, uh, was going to play the Robert Downey Jr. role. No, he, he was rewrite, he rewrote the script or he updated the script. So okay. they were going to remake it based on his script, but it never, it never happened, I guess. Probably because soaps aren't a big deal anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, uh, I mean, there's still like nighttime soaps. Right. Uh, I mean, not trashy sort of daytime things, but you know, you could say like those Shonda Rhimes shows are kind of soapy, right? Yeah. I mean, Days of Our Lives is still on. Yes. I mean, there are still soap operas, but there's just- Is General Hospital still on? I bet it is. I know All My Children is not. All My Kids? All My Kids and One Life to Live is are gone. Hmm. So Erica Kane is no longer on the. No, nope. uh, she's on a different show, I think, though. Okay, like a like a nighttime soap kind of thing. But yeah, they're just not, and I'm sure the people who watch them are still very dedicated to watching them. They're just not in the popular consciousness, uh, because they come from an era of the monoculture where we only all only had three TV stations, right. and everybody watched the same things and talked about the same things. And now, as everything is fragmented, uh, and then also, uh. Literally, women being in the workplace or more in the workforce, uh, that daytime soaps took a hit from that because they were designed to cater to women who were staying home and, sure. you know, taking care of their families and, you know, doing stuff around the household that day. That's why I started watching them. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would st sometimes pretend like I was sick so I could stay home and watch all my children. And then they would sell. Did you hear what I just said? You would pretend you were sick so you could, you could watch All My Children? Yes, when I was younger. <laughs> and then they would sell household cleaning products. I know. That's why you. they're called soaps. I know. Don't mansplain <laughs> soaps to me, Craig Kukowski. <laughs> I know all about soap operas. <laughs> well, in Raging Bull, Carla, all of the... All <laughs> Raging Bull? In Raging Bull, all of the fight scenes were shot uh, in a completely different way. So... He's trying to like do an expressionist, uh, expressionist version of what it was like, uh, for Lamada to be in the ring. And so the way they shot each fight is completely different according to whatever his emotional state was at the time. 
And so Scorsese would do things like he would have a boxing ring built that was like not to specifications that was like more rectangular. And so it looks kind of odd when you're there. Uh, there was another one that was shot. They would have flames just under the camera lens. And so there, there's be this, uh, so they have like a candle, uh, burning right under the camera lens. And so everything would be shot through the gauze of like a flame. Crazy. There's a whole thing talking to the sound designer, um, about some of the sounds that he used for the fights. And he used a lot of animal noises like bears and tigers. Uh, and then when you, when you play back the scene, you're like, Oh, why didn't I hear that? There's a tiger roar there just as he's pulling back his hand to punch. And when he lands the punch, you hear a tiger. Wow. It's, it's so obvious when you're told that's what you're going to hear. When you watch the movie, you're not conscious of any of that. And so it just kind of affects you emotionally. And these fight scenes are so visceral and brutal. And they shot them with one camera, typically – for, you know, like a Rocky movie, they'll shoot with multi-camera set up all around the ring, you know, so they can get things from different angles. These were done more like choreography where they had to work out, uh, the steps exactly. I mean. The- so there was a good dance sequence at the end of Soap Dish where they all like <laughs> clearly were choreographed doing the cha-cha. Yeah. Right? Was it the cha-cha? I don't know what they're doing. Or like a salsa dance. Sure. As the end credits are playing, they're all doing it's a dance so good. together. Sure. Um, <laughs> I would say Soap Dish uh, is enjoyable all the way through. There's a big plot twist that happens about two-thirds of the way through it, which I won't spoil. What are you talking about? The plot oh, twist? The big thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like it it loses some of its oomph and momentum mm-hmm. after that happens, you know? Because now, like, Elizabeth Shue has to be kind of a different character. Yeah, she is. You're right. And I actually think that she, as much as I love Elizabeth Shue, she's not as, she's not nearly as good as everybody else in the movie. Sure. She was America's sweetheart at the time. Uh, Don't I know it? (laughs) I loved her. Um, She was in Cocktail, wasn't she? She was in Cocktail. Let's watch that movie. I haven't seen that in years. I've never seen Cocktail. You've never seen Cocktail? No. Oh, man. I watched that so much when I was a kid. Another (laughs) inappropriate movie for me to be watching. I knew at the time it was a piece of shit. I'm I'm not going to watch that movie. I don't know. Like, there's a cool beach scene Uh where they make out. Kokomo is from Cocktail, right? Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh, I want to take it. Right? Yes. Oh, also he spins bottles in the air when he's making drinks. I always thought that that was Michael Caine. It's uh, Brian Brown. Yeah. But when I was a kid, they were the same person to me. Sure. I don't know why, but he's Australian, right? He's Australian. Yeah. (sighs) All right. So let's do some quotes. (laughs) Okay. So these are quotes uh, of Carla watching Soap Dish, but I will try to apply them. To scenes in <laughs> Raging Bull. <laughs> uh, so here's a little segment that we call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. The opening titles of Raging Bull are absolutely gorgeous. So it's just a slow-mo of LaMada 
kind of warming up in the ring as this uh, Italian orchestral music plays. Uh, you see the beautiful black and white photography. And Carla said, ah, I love this opening. <laughs> <laughs> but I was talking about the hilarious like cartoon pop art stuff of the 90s, right? It's a very 90s opening credits. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, the opening scene is like the daytime Emmy Awards, yeah. right? And so all of the stars of what's, it's like the sun also sets. Is that yeah. what their show is called? Are, are walking down the red carpet and you see Kathy Moriarty and you, and you said, there she is. There's, there's the raging bull right there walking down the red carpet. <laughs> now, when you hear in Raging Bull that Kathy Moriarty, who's playing Vicky, uh, Jake LaMotta's second wife, is 15 years old, supposedly, at the beginning of the movie, and you're like, what? You know, of like, yeah. and you're like, that's ridiculous. But Kathy Moriarty was actually 19 when she made Raging Bull. Wow. Uh, and looks 30. Yeah. And then in Soap Dish, she was around 30 and looks 40. Yeah. You know? And I, do, and I don't mean to say that because I did say that and I didn't mean that in a bad way where like she looks old and, and ragged. She doesn't. She's beautiful, but she just seems so mature. Yes. She and seems... she has a hoarse, low voice. Yes. Yeah. You know, absolutely. She was kind of the Scarlett Johansson of her day. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so one of the reasons she was cast in that they really had a hard time finding somebody who could play that young and then she's got to age into her 30s, uh, I think, for the movie. For Soap um, Dish? <laughs> yes. <laughs> a soap Dish, of course, covers a 20-year period <laughs> um, uh, for Raging Bull. <laughs> and Joe Pesci, who had already been cast in the film – uh, remembered her from his local disco where she had won like some sort of beauty queen award there. And they were looking at headshots of the actual Vicky LaMana. And he's like, I know a girl who <laughs> looks like this. Uh, and they went and found her. And then she had never been in a movie before. Um, she did a screen test with De Niro and she was like, uh, and Scorsese's like, okay, you ready to do this? And she's like, yeah, you know, are all these guys going to leave? And he's like, no, this is the crew. Like they're here, they're, they're here to shoot this. I'm like she didn't understand what all these people standing around wow. were doing. And, uh, I guess the main reason that they cast her was because that she could give as good as she got in terms of like fighting back with him, that she seemed like a just local New York, Italian American tough Bronx girl who wasn't going to put up with any shit. Yeah. Uh, and that's who she was. And, you know, for, uh, debut performance, uh, she gives a great performance in Raging Bull. Uh, in all seriousness, I do remember her performance when I saw it and thinking that she was very impressive. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's hard to, uh, hold your own with Robert De Niro. <laughs> absolutely. Especially at 19. And watching the bonus features of like he had nothing but praise for her as well. And Pesci, uh, it, he's just an interesting story, you know, because he's been in so many memorable movies. But if you look at his overall credits, I think he's only done like 30 movies total. Mm -hmm. But, but he's in the Home Alone movies. Yeah. He's in the Lethal Weapon movies. He's in a bunch of Scorsese movies. And then My Cousin Vinny and JFK. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
uh, Easy Money with Rodney Dangerfield. He's great in that. I mean, he's always the Joe Pesci role. But he, do you know that he's only made two movies in the last 20 years? Wow. He retired from acting in 1999. Wow. Uh, and then he did some movie with Helen Mirren where they ran a brothel, what? which I didn't see. And then he had a small part in De Niro's movie, The Good Shepherd, which was about the, yeah. the beginnings of the CIA. I didn't like that movie that much. Um, but then apparently they're making a Jimmy Hoffa movie with De Niro and Pesci that, with Scorsese that's going to come out next year. Um, but this was Pesci's second movie. He had only done a TV movie before this and he had been a child actor and then he retired from acting and became a nightclub singer. And he and this guy, Frank, <laughs> he was a nightclub singer and he had a, he had a, he also introduced the four seasons to each other. What? So apparently I have never seen Jersey Boys, the movie or the stage show, but apparently there's a, I don't know if the character is named Joe Pesci in it or if it's just based on him, but he knew the different Frankie Valley and then Bob Gaudio, who was another one of the founding members. And he's the guy who introduced them really? when, when they were teenagers. Yes. It feels like he's not old enough. He, yeah, he is. He is. Wow. Um, I, I think he's, he's probably around my parents' age. I think he was born in the early forties. Oh, okay. <clears throat> wow. Um, but then also in like doing research on Pesci for this, uh, do you remember what his, the name of his character was in Home Alone? Um, no, I don't think he had a name, did he? His character's name in Home Alone was Harry Lime. Harry Lime. Okay. And what's the significance of that? I don't know. That is Orson Welles' character in The Third Man. Weird. <laughs> So I don't know if they ever say it. I, mean, I, I haven't seen Home Alone. I know in that they're the years. Wet Bandits. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't remember his name. But yeah, he does call. It, he says Harry a lot. Yeah. Now this, and, and Marv, I think, is what's his face? Daniel Stern. Does that sound right? That yeah, I believe that's right. Harry and Marv. Yeah. Yeah. So he he's an homage to Orson Welles. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> That's so cool. This whole podcast has been worth it now that I know that. So there is a good form of mansplaining. Yes. When I don't actually know something. <laughs> but soap operas you have covered. I've got it covered, Craig. <laughs> okay. I get it. Uh, this must have been when we see Lamada when he's old and fat at the beginning of the movie. He said, I want to know what this guy looks like now. What? No, I think you were actually talking about, <laughs> you're actually talking about Bolt. Bolt. Oh yeah. <laughs> Who's the hunk from the oh, show. Oh yeah. And we looked him up and he's still pretty handsome. He is still handsome. And I guess he was on like over a hundred episodes of One Tree Hill. He's in, yeah, he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. So Good he's still him. working. Uh, because he's actually, I mean, obviously he's playing a parody of a soap opera leading man. Right. So, you know, he's, he's legitimately funny in this. He is. Yeah. I think small part, but memorable. Um, and of course, uh, again, uh, Jake LaMotta is doing his, uh, he's running his lines, uh, for, he's doing the could have been a contender speech from mm -hmm. On the Waterfront, another movie we might be talking about. What? I've never seen point. On the Waterfront, so I will watch it. You'll never see it On the Waterfront. Um, and it, you know what? Another famous movie that uses the Jake Lamato, uh, getting ready for the show at the, in the dressing room? Um, 
the very end of Raging Bull, we see Lamates running his lines, and then a stagehand played by Martin Scorsese comes in to tell him it's showtime. No, what? Uh, Boogie Nights, the end of ah. Boogie Nights, which Mark Wahlberg, um, looking into the mirror, getting ready to go oh, yeah, yeah. perform as a direct homage to the final shot of Raging Bull. Wow. Man, men really love this movie, huh? <laughs> Me and PTA. Yeah. Guys uh, really dig it. But about uh, theater, Carla said, it took me a long time to understand that Death of a Salesman is supposed to be a classic. Right. Okay. So let me <laughs> explain that. Because I saw this movie before I knew, probably prob- even knew who Arthur Miller was, um, and certainly didn't know what Death of a Salesman was. And so when I saw this movie, I was like, oh, that must be a terrible play. Because he's doing it and he's, it's clearly so bad yes. in this dinner theater. And so then when I got to college and people were like doing scenes from Death of a Salesman, I was like, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> That's dinner this, theater this material. This can't be good. This can't be a good play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but then you explained the joke, which I thought was funny. You mansplained the joke to me, which is. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> which is that, yeah, you normally you don't do Death of a Salesman right. at a dinner theater. Right. Yeah. Which is really funny. And that scene, uh, with old folks asking him to repeat the lines, like waiters running into each other, uh, he's wiping up a spill on somebody's yeah. table. It's so fucking funny. And Kevin Klein is so good in that he's scene. He's so good in it. How often do I laugh out loud while watching a movie? Not very often. And did I laugh a lot while watching that you did. scene? Yeah. yeah. You really dug that scene. Yeah. Um, so, of course, Jake LaMotta lives in a tenement in the, the Bronx. And Carla said, I wanted a house like this when I was a kid. Still want a house like this. Just kidding. I want a tiny house. <laughs> I'm obsessed with tiny houses. But you were talking about Sally Fields, <laughs> Sally Fields penthouse. penthouse suite uh, in Soap Dish. Uh, there's a scene where Sally Field falls face first onto her bed. <laughs> and you made me rewind it because you said, that's an amazing fall. You have to rewind that. <laughs> It's so good. She falls flat on her face. It's so funny. Like, I don't know how she does it without hurting herself. She's upset because her married boyfriend, her boyfriend who's married to somebody else has left her. Mm -hmm. And she just comes home from winning the daytime Emmy Award. And she finds that he's gone. And she starts crying and she just falls flat on her face onto the couch. And when the answering machine message is being played by her boyfriend uh, of her boyfriend's voice, you were like, whose voice is that? And we looked it up and it's Kevin Spacey. Crazy. Which is bizarre because he wasn't even a name actor at the time. He was in a lot of stuff though around that time. He was also in Heartburn a few years before that. Uh Uh-huh. He's like a thug on a subway train or something? Yeah. He um, robs Meryl Streep. (laughs) <laughs> in a very nice way. Uh, but I think he was a big theater actor. So Okay. Uh, well, Sally Field falls uh, face down onto her bed. But, you know, Jake LaMotta famously in his fight with Sugar Ray Robinson uh, never went down. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end with his uh, face bloodied and his eyes are just uh, blown up and inflated. Uh, you can barely see it through them. He's like, you never brought me down, Ray. You never got me down. You never got me down. <laughs> I didn't watch the movie again, but that sounds like a very good impression. <laughs> uh, and then Carla just started talking along with the movie. Like I knew the lines. I forgot that I knew the lines. And how long do you think it had been? 
Oh, it's been at least 10 years since I'd seen this movie. Uh, so there was a line where he was talking along with Sally Field. On the machine, Rose. On, on the, the machine. machine. And then, <laughs> She's saying he broke up with her. Yes. On the machine, Rose. On the machine. And then you said, I've seen this a lot. <laughs> <laughs> at one point, just commenting on uh, early 90s technology, you said, look at that giant remote in her hand. Oh, my gosh. It was huge. It was like the size of a VHS tape. It was the biggest remote I've ever seen for a television. Why would you need a remote that big? I don't know. I guess to fit the giant batteries Yeah. and all the technology. We actually have a pretty big remote. We've got a good size remote. We've got a universal remote that does not control universally everything no. that we need it to. We have three remotes, actually. We have three remotes to control an Apple TV, a, a Blu-ray player, and a TV. But even... So all three of our remotes sitting side by side right now are as big as the one that they were using in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If we were to tape all three of these remotes together, it would be about that size. Um, I don't know if you were referring to Robert De Niro in Raging Bull or Kevin Klein in Soap Dish, but you said, look at how good he is in this. I was talking about Kevin Klein. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it could equally apply to Robert De Niro. Kevin Klein is so good in this. I know we've <laughs> talked about it already, but I just have to reiterate, what a dreamboat. He's really good. What would you like to see Kevin Klein do right now um, in our living room? <laughs> because he's here. I want him to sing and dance. <laughs> no. Uh, well, what should be his, his his next thing? Well, I was looking it up yesterday, and he did do Ricky and the Flash a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, which was terrible. Did you not he remember that he was in that? No, I forgot. Because yeah. I watched it at like 3 in the morning one night when I was feeling sick. Yeah. Uh a huge Meryl Streep fan right here, as you know. Yes. It's a terrible movie. But he works with Meryl a lot. Like, they've worked a lot together. They're years. pals. Yeah. They're buddies. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would love to see that comeback yeah, I movie like for him. He needs to be in, he needs to make the transition like Bill Murray did. Although Bill Murray probably did it when he was much younger. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like going from sad old character actor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like he needs like a Wes Anderson or someone to champion him, yeah, and putting him put him in something where he can be quirky as quirky and hilarious as he is. Yes, not just like grandpa roles or whatever. Agreed. Well, I think that's part of my problem with De Niro is that he kind of segued into grandpa roles mm-hmm. at, at the time that Andrew and I were obsessed with Raging Bull in the eighties. He was by far our favorite actor, mm-hmm. uh, and just to think that his I don't think it was his next movie, but his next Scorsese movie right after this was was playing Rupert Pupkin in King of Comedy. Like it could not be more different than Jake LaMotta of like he had such range. And if you take like from Mean Streets in 73, then you've got he won the Oscar for playing the young Vito Corleone in Godfather Part Two. Uh, he had Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh and I guess up to like maybe heat in the mid nineties, like it's just like an unbroken string of incredible performances. But then I think when he started doing like the Fockers movies and analyze this, you know, which I like those movies. Yeah. I mean, they're fine, but it's just, it's not <laughs> worthy of Robert De Niro. Analyze this is a funny movie. It is, but. I, I like, I get it. I, I get what's funny about it. He's kind of, now he's starting to paradise the De Niro persona mm-hmm. a little bit, you know? Sure. Uh, and I think that, um, 
what's his face? David O. Russell has used him well. Yes. Uh, yes. Because, you know, probably the best that he's been recently has been Silver Linings Playbook. And he was probably the best part of Joy, which wasn't a very good movie. Right. And, uh, and then he had that small part in American Hustle. Like, uh, he's been really good in those movies, I think. Yeah. Um, so obviously he's still a capable actor, but I think he just got to the point where he was saying yes to everything and he just did a lot of stuff. That, or maybe uh, he just wanted to do different kinds of stuff. Sure. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt for a second. All right. Bob, we love you. <laughs> keep mm-hmm. uh, keep doing what you're doing, bud. But it's also, it's kind of almost completely unfair, I think, sometimes when we put these people on these pedestals. Yeah. Um, like he had a really good run and that's really amazing and incredible. And 1% of all human beings have ever done anything like that. Well, <laughs> you know, and so then to say like, oh, he made... And and I don't disagree. Like some of the stuff has been kind of weird over the years, but I don't know. It's just like he doesn't. He's just taking stuff either a for money or b. Yeah. <laughs> because it's different than what he's done before, right? And so he doesn't really know how it's going to turn out or what's going to hit. I think that's fair because, you know, it, he's a guy with a life, and who am I to know like what's going in his life? Yeah. Uh, for him to say yes or no to whatever he does, you know, I'm more talking about my idealized version of the, and that's the problem with idolizing people, uh, and holding them to kind of an impossible standard. But there's so many good actors that never get even that one good role to really showcase exactly what they can do. Mm-hmm. And he's had 40 right. <laughs> great roles, if not more. Um, Toward the end of Soap Dish, uh, I was, uh, you know, I was probably on my phone a little bit, uh, but partially writing down quotes and taking notes. You were playing your word cross puzzle word uh, thing. <laughs> Maybe I was playing a word cross puzzle or a crossword puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> You're old timey like that. Uh, I, I, I think I was doing a puzzle in my games magazine also, but I was still paying attention to the movie. And you said, I've watched so many of your movies and you can't even, and you, <laughs> you just kind of trailed off. But Carla, you know, that's how it feels. That's how it feels when there's a movie you love up there and somebody else is checking their phone messages. Okay. But let's just be real for a second. I watched hundreds of hours of your movies. Hundreds up, of hours. Up to this point. <laughs> how many, how many are we in? Um, well, yeah, this is movie 55. So Okay, so let's say we, and we've, a lot of these were more than two hours. Okay, but still hundreds of hours is hyperbolic. Over a hundred hours is still... Possibly in, around a hundred hours. Is still fucking crazy. <laughs> and let's say 30 of those hours I was checking my email. That's still 70 <laughs> hours of a, watching your movies. Okay, so I have to... Uh, Clockwork Orange style, just open my eyes and watch 70 hours of your movies. Well, you could without just watch being, without two distracted. hours of my movie. Soap Dish was short too. It wasn't it even wasn't a two, even hour two hours. It wasn't even two hours. And I can tell the difference between when you're like doing something and paying attention and when you're not paying attention at all. Okay. Just I, FYI. I liked, I liked Soap Dish. But you checked out there for a little bit and I got upset. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Uh, so Carla, you want to give a letter grade to, uh, soap dish? I'm going to go with a B plus. It's a B plus. Yeah. Okay. Things, some things don't hold up as well, but mostly. 
I still really love it. Like, it's one of those movies. This is why the grading scale is tricky because, uh, like the editing is super strange. There's like these wipe edits. Is that uh-huh. what they're called? Oh, hi, Benny. <laughs> Benny just came in and shook all over the place. Um, that make it seem really old and crappy. Uh, and then the whole like, she's really a man thing at the end that's supposed to be this big reveal. Yeah. It's really disappointing. Well, I think your quote was maybe not so politically correct anymore. Yeah. Um, so I'm acknowledging all of that. Having said that, it's still super funny. Like I did legitimately laugh out loud. I LOL'd legitimately several times and I still think it's my favorite performance. And I love Sophie's Choice, Kevin Klein's and Sophie's Choice, but I still think this is my favorite performance of both Kevin Klein and Sally Field. Yeah, they're really good. Like great. It's great casting, great, uh, performances all around. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to say B plus as well. Yay. And Raging Bull is an A. Okay. Though I, you know, I'll, I'll say this. It's the, here's a, a couple more things I wanted to say that I like about it. You know, yeah. uh, the biopic is especially with somebody who had, you know, some sort of great accomplishment in their life, whether they're in, uh, a painter, an athlete, a writer, you know, a politician, whatever, you know, like we know all those biopic tropes of like, and there's always somebody in the script telling you how great this person is, or if it's more about how they're like a mixed bag, like Jake LaMotta is, you know, they, uh, they're great at what they do, but they're a flawed person. Then there's a lot of stuff pointing that out. And I think this movie doesn't condemn him or glorify him. It just kind of shows him exactly as he was. And then you, you know, and I I think it kind of makes the point that he's, he was a good boxer and that's about it. You know, that, mm-hmm. Like that's what he's known for. Uh, and I, I think it does that really well, but it's not as enjoyable to watch the, despite the, uh, the artistry that goes into it. So I'm going to put it down around where the verdict and wings of desire are. Wow. So more like in the 75 range. Interesting. So that's where it's going, but it's staying on the list. Uh, you want to improvise a scene? Sure. So, uh, there's a running thing in Soap <clears throat> Dish of Sally Field's character, uh, whenever she needs an ego boost, goes to the mall to get recognized. Oh, that was a Craig quote. You said, this is just like Trump. <laughs> and then when I was looking up when they had, you know, rewritten it and found that Ben Schwartz info, uh, an article popped up from a couple weeks ago that said this scene from Soap Dish uh exactly describes you're kidding you're kidding no i'm gonna post it i'm brilliant yeah okay so yeah so but that's basically whenever he you know he he has a rally you don't need a rally you're the fucking president (laughs) (laughs) he has a rally whenever he wants his ego boosted so sally field goes to the mall to get recognized by shopping ladies yeah um and whoopi goldberg pretends not to know her and be like you're you're that lady. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, so it's really funny. But what if, what if she goes to the mall and is recognized by Jake LaMotta? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, excuse me. Excuse me. You're the. 
Oh, hi. I know you. Yes. I know you. Oh, thank you. Oh, can you keep it down, please? I'm trying to shop. Oh, no, no. Hey, this lady over here. Yeah, you're doing the opposite of what I just asked. Hey, this lady over here. Oh, it's okay. No worries. You're on the thing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're on the thing. I am. What's the show? uh, The Sun Also Rises. The Sun Also Rises. Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's a book, isn't it? I mean, The Sun Also Sets. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I like that. Um, okay, so do you want me to sign something for you? Yeah. I I don't like to sign body parts, but any kind of piece of paper is allowed. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't got any no paper. I'm really not into uh, book learning. You know, I just so wanted much. to say I was feeling really bad this morning when I woke up. Like it was really the kind of day where I was like, oh, stay under the sheets. Uh, you know, put the sheets over <laughs> your head. Uh, but this makes me feel really good about myself. Thank you so much for recognizing me. Yeah, I know that feeling. Uh, I, I poured a. A pitcher of ice water down my pants. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, train training for a fight so I can't make love to my wife. Oh, oh gosh. So whenever you get, you know, like a a hard on, you gotta you gotta staunch it with some ice water. Are you saying that you like me? You really, really like me? You never brought me down. <laughs> never brought me down. Oh my. I'm not an animal. Oh my! I'm not an animal. <laughs> You're a machine. <laughs> I'm a machine. And scene. Oh man! You're a machine on the machine. <laughs> I think I was talking about when you work out on the elliptical. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly. Uh, here's one thing I was surprised to learn. Jake LaMotta, still alive. Really? Yeah, he's 97 years old. Jeez. I think he's been married seven times. Wow. So, uh, so he's still with us. Man, the dogs are really interested in being on your lap. <laughs> These dogs love me, Carla. Yeah, I mean, nobody loves me. That's not true. Uh, you are going to take Frankie with you when you go to Portland. Maybe. I don't know. She's a big fan of yours. I don't want her to be too sad. Okay. You're going to leave me alone with all these animals? We'll see. <laughs> uh, well, Carla, I'm sorry that uh, you were not able to watch Raging Bull. I think it was the right choice for your past, though. I'm, I'm going to say. Thank you. And just to reiterate, I've seen it before. You have seen it before. So it okay. wasn't that big of a deal. And you appreciated it. And appreciated not seeing it again. Now, this means, Carla, that we have 54 movies to go and you only have one pass. Okay. So, you know, you can always do, you only have to see a third. This is a reminder. You really have not taken advantage of that. You did it for Tucker, I think. Right. And maybe one other movie where you only watched a third of it. But, uh, as long as you watch a third of the movie, you're good. But I, I think it's impressive, uh, that you've pretty much stuck to watching the whole thing. Um, so use that le- remaining pass wisely. I know you said you were going to reserve it for number one, <laughs> but I think you might crack before that. I think there might be another one we'll that makes see. you take a pass. So, uh, you did not want to watch, uh, a film by a great New York filmmaker, Mr. Martin Scorsese. What about, uh, a New York filmmaker who does more comedies? 
Woody Allen. Could this be Woody Allen? Are we back to Woody Allen? Could this be Woody Allen film three of seven on the list? Wow, we have a lot more to do. This is number 54 <laughs> on the list. This is a number, uh, this is a 1975 film by Woody. Kind of his transition from his really silly broad comedies into comedies that are a little more philosophical, though this is very slapsticky and silly movie. It's kind of a parody of Russian novels and Chekhov plays. Mm-hmm, which and, I love. And uh it co-stars Diane Keaton at Who her at her funniest. And it's called Love and Death. Yep. Oh, sorry, I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen this. Okay, and our friend James Dunn is gonna come in. Uh, he's a big Woody Allen fan. And uh we're gonna talk about love and death. So I think that because we have so many Woody Allen fa- Woody Allen films, and mm-hmm. you we've already had Brian Shortall, who's a giant Huge Woody Allen fan, right? Yes. Who else do we have for Woody Allen? Uh, we did Zelig by ourselves. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyways, and we're having James, who's a giant Woody Allen fan. We've talked about another friend of ours that is a giant Woody Allen fan. We should have one person who's like not into Woody Allen. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Just to balance the I like scale that. a little bit. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, we've got, we've got the fanboys in, maybe bring a woman in who can bring some. Uh, I didn't say woman well, necessarily. Yeah. Just maybe somebody else who can bring some perspective on it. And where... not even that they have to hate Woody Allen, but just that maybe they're not as taken. Hmm. With, yeah. With the Woody. <laughs> taken with the Woody. <laughs> <laughs> Carla, are you saying you're not taken with the Woody? Um, no, I like a lot of Woody Allen films, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I really love Hannah and her sisters. Okay. Well, speaking of taking with the Woody, I'm going to pour some ice water down my pants. Oh, and- God. <laughs> Play to the top of your intelligence, Craig. I, I am. I'm sorry, but I am. <laughs> uh, Craig's listeners, we'll see you next week. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>